the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Deal with a location of grief. And then what should we as Christian parents be thinking about the public schools? And later we're going to talk about something crazy that happened at the Louvre over the weekend. You're listening to The Common Good. Monday, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us. Aubrey, <clears throat> I just said it's Monday, but we had Monday off from the morning. It is, I know. Today is you know, Tuesday. What's so funny about that, Brian, is I didn't even catch it. Like, I was just like, yeah, it's, it's Monday. Like Monday. I th- yeah. yeah, I think since we didn't have Memorial Day in the studio, that threw us off. But here we go. It's, it's Tuesday, Brian. How was your Monday? My Monday was wonderful. I love oh, Memorial good. Day because it's yeah. like the start of summer, you know, yeah, and so, so great. we did a bunch of family things and then had a big family party over my brother-in-law and sister-in-law's house. We were in your neck of the woods over in West oh, Chicago. Nice. And uh, well, yep. One of these times, you know, yep. and so it was it was wonderful. How about you guys? How was your uh, how was your Memorial Day? Yeah, it was nice. It was very, very chill. Like we just didn't do much. I am now of that old, horrible age where like you just wake up at 530 and you're just awake. So that was annoying. Uh, I'm like, this guilty is my day here off. as well. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I got up and I actually did a lot, wrote an article, got some work done. But then by like, you know, nine, as people started to wake up, I was pretty much done because I've been working for three and a half hours. And we just chilled. Like Kevin and I binge Stranger Things. We went on a family walk. I mean, it was just a nice, a very relaxing, very nice you, day. You binge Stranger Things the morning of Memorial Day when it's like 85 <laughs> degrees up. outside? Morning and, after, morning and evening. We split it up. We split it up. <laughs> That's outstanding. So let me lodge my complaint uh, of for one only one thing on the weekend, Aubrey, okay. as I tell you all the time, I am Let's old, I'm out of shape. And so I threw my back out this weekend and I'm in so much pain at the moment. Oh, it's ridiculous. Oh, 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 I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I hate back pain. pain. Well. No, yeah, I, I don't do pain forth. well. So if you don't want to hear a middle-aged guy complaining about back pain, we might not be the show for you this week. <laughs> 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 that oh, is so the sad, case. Ryan. So sad. So, I'm yes. So well, we hope that you all had a great Memorial Day weekend. Summer is kind of, you know, that's the unofficial kickoff of summer. And so, oh, awesome. uh, it is. It is. Hopefully, you are looking forward to a great summer. Aubrey, obviously, the story that we were with all of last week was uh, the terrible shooting down in Uvalde, Texas. Yeah. And, um, people, you know, funerals are starting to happen. Oh, uh, so a lot awful. of debates oh, are starting to happen, right? About what, you know, my, my brother-in-law and I had a great conversation about gun control yesterday because okay. I was like, hey, help me understand your thoughts. Like, I think people in our culture are wrestling with it right now. Definitely. Like, what's the right Definitely. thing to do? What should we be doing? And so all of that's going on. But I, I want to highlight a, a very specific story that I read today and I saw on the Today Show, just 
Uh, I want to make a connection to grief in general, but here's the story. Uh, It came out of this weekend when President Biden was visiting Uvalde. And it says this, federal, uh, the government might provide money to knock down and rebuild Robb Elementary School, state lawmaker says. And here's the story. Let me just sum it up. Okay. Uh, And I hadn't thought about this, but it makes all the sense in the world. That is the place of the trauma for any of the surviving kids and teachers, yeah, right? That yeah. is the place. And there, a lot of parents have been talking about how their kids want no, and nor do the parents want any scenario where these kids go back into that elementary school. And so the plan is, it's not been decided yet, is to knock that elementary school down and build a new one right on site. And wow. I didn't realize that's a common practice. That happened at Sandy Hook. They knocked down. Oh, I down, didn't know that either. Wow. Yes, they knocked down Sandy Hook Elementary School mm, and rebuilt okay. one, a new one right there. And that has happened at multiple school shootings, not at yeah. all school shootings, places like yeah. Columbine and others. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is not the case. And it just got me thinking like, I, I, well, let's just start here. I would never have thought of that. Now, I'm thankful that I've never gone through trauma on right, anywhere right. remotely towards that level. But once you hear it, that does kind of make sense, doesn't it? Yeah, I was just thinking that like you can see the you can see how traumatizing it would be to have to return back to that school and have kids even go back into that school that it it does feel like in many ways it would be um safer if they're going to continue using it as a school to rebuild it so that, I mean, obviously it's still in the same location, but if it just doesn't even look the same, I think that would be really, really helpful. I know there are some things where we want to keep them like in, um, as a memorials, right? Like you, you think about, um, other places where tragedies have taken places and we want the memorial. So we want that we want the space there to walk through, but this is different. It's a building that will keep being used for little kids who have been through major trauma for parents who have been through major trauma staff members. It does seem to me, I mean, not that it allows for a fresh start, but just kind of honors like, Oh, we don't want you to have to walk back and, and face you know, face this, especially if you're not ready to. So I, that is, yeah. it's an interesting, I didn't know that happened either, Brian. I do think that's really interesting. So let me make a connection here and, and see if you can stay with me here. Obviously, okay. um, when we talk about going through grief and going mm-hmm. through trauma, like yeah. the vast majority of us have never gone through anything like what these kids and these teachers right. did, but that doesn't mean we haven't gone through trauma of some right. sort, right? right? Like, so, uh, what is let's let's ask the question this way, Aubrey? Is there value in quote unquote whether literally or metaphorically destroying the places where those mm-hmm. trauma existed? So maybe something yeah. happened within your home. Would you counsel mm-hmm. somebody to move? Maybe mm-hmm. it happened at a school. Do you transfer? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully, I think you understand what I'm asking. Mm-hmm. When dealing with trauma in general, when dealing with uh, traumatic yeah. events in general. Yeah. Do we either literally or metaphorically, mm-hmm. as part of that healing process, destroying the actual locations as to where those traumas existed? So I think there are two sides to this, and I am not an expert <laughs> by right. any means. Neither of us are, but uh, it just got yeah, me thinking yeah, when I read this yeah. story. So, okay, I'll just speak personally for a moment. I, I've shared on here before that part of my story from my past as a teenager is that I was sexually assaulted. Uh, in two different scenarios, one on a school bus 
and one by a um at, at a restaurant where I worked by a boss. And part of my healing journey was to go back to that restaurant and just kind of experience myself as an adult Mm. now, like sort of revisiting the teenage girl then. But Brian, that was 10 years later. And it was not even a restaurant anymore. It was an old Navy, literally to become an old Navy. So, um, so I actually felt very grateful both to go back and revisit like this place where my younger self experienced a lot of pain and shame, but I was also simultaneously really grateful. It wasn't that exact location that there was things about it that had changed. Like, obviously there were like skinny jeans hanging where this office, you know, (laughs) but I think that was God's kindness. So like both Mm. things I think were true in that moment, the the power to revisit again, a decade later after I had been in a lot of therapy, a lot of maturing, et cetera. And it not being exactly the same. And I can mm. see why even we, we get into some conversations that can be some tricky for people, but I actually think there's some power in this about um, even the way we have not really done a great job of like honoring or setting up memorials for um, those who were enslaved in America through the slave mm-hmm. trade. Like, I think there are some things like that. Can we tear down the places of evil and violence and instead raise up something beautiful still allowing people to somehow go back right so i you know i think the fact that like this school might be rebuilt in the same location but look different there is some it's got that twofold twofold power there i see what you're saying yeah yeah it's an interest i hadn't said thought about it until i read that like i just was like oh you know they'll probably shut the school down for the summer and then hopefully this you know community can go back in the Mm -hmm. fall i hadn't thought about no, no, yeah. no. You're sticking the kids in the place where they're still having nightmares about oh, and teachers right. too, teachers too, and families. And maybe mm-hmm. even literally on the same grounds, it looking different is a major step forward. And maybe there's some learning that we can yeah. do with our own experiences. I yeah, don't know. I, think you're right. I wanted to put that out for people just to wrestle with as we continue mm-hmm. to grieve and learn and uh, kind of digest this story out of Texas. All right, Aubrey, summer is upon us. So kids are either out of school or about to get out of school. Uh, I have a... Uh, you know that my daughter has graduated high school, so she's been done. Well, yes. She's been out of class for like a week and a half, whereas my two junior high students don't end for until a week from today. Okay, like they that go for- is really sad. Like my kids are done on Thursday, and it's a half yes. day on Thursday, so they're almost there. But I can't believe your kids have another week and a half. So a couple thoughts about this. One, they're not really doing school right now. I believe tomorrow, yeah. my younger daughter, the entire seventh grade class, is going to a Kane County Cougars game. Oh, Next okay. Monday, my son, the entire eighth grade class, is going to Great America. Uh, <laughs> they're in full. They're in full movie watching mode right yeah, now. So totally. I don't feel too badly. You know what happened? This is an aside. Do you know why they're going so late? I actually don't. I, I was going to th- ask you that. I think they were supposed to be done originally like this Friday. I believe it was either Thursday or Friday. Do you remember over the winter, uh, we had a couple snow days? Mm -hmm. And most schools, like your schools or my daughter's high school, they were like, they went online and it was a joke for like an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Our kids junior high called them regular snow days. And so now they're having to make them up. So I think they were supposed to be done this Friday. 
And oh, I remember man. them being all excited back then that they didn't have to do online school. I was like, you guys are going to regret this. And sure yeah. enough, like, oh. so now it's Tuesday. But like Sad. I said, they're not exact. I think each of them were like, I have one more test I have to worry about. And then it's kind of yeah. clear they're sailing. They're basically so- like at camp at school this week. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So school schools are ending. And here's why I bring up school, because and you and I were joking, having a conversation last week about uh, who are the figureheads of of Christian like subculture. One of right. them is Kirk Cameron. Kirk Cameron, uh, of, my boy, Max growing Seaver. pains. Yes. There you go. Of growing <laughs> pains fame, but also of left behind. Yes. And uh, he's done a ton of stuff in the Christian world. Well, yeah. He has a new movie out. And his new movie uh, is all about homeschooling. It's called The Homeschool Awakening, in which Kirk Cameron discusses uh, seven with 17 families who have decided to homeschool their kids. And so this is going around kind of the Christian world. And Kirk Cameron is um, he's really promoting it right now. And yeah. one of the ways that he's promoting it is to really go in hard at the public schools. Uh, using phrases like public schools are grooming kids with critical race theory, sexual chaos, racial confusion, gender identity issues, and all sorts of this. And so he is saying he has made this movie as a way to encourage parents to pull their kids out of the public schools and homeschool them. And so really – uh, this, um, this movie is a, a little bit of a public service and it's a, it's a two, however long it is public service announcement for homeschooling movement Seems to like homeschool it. your yep. children. Yeah. Uh, so Aubrey, there's two points I want to make about this, but the first is this, um, I feel like, and here, let me lay all my cards on the table. People may not okay. know this who listen to the show, uh, Uh, My daughter just finished public high school for four Mm -hmm. years, and it went really well. And we are sending my son to a private Christian uh, high school starting next year. So my family is kind of a good test case here. Yeah, you are. In terms of this. But we'll be keeping our younger daughter in the public junior high until high school because we don't want to pull her out. So we kind of are straddling both fences. You guys are very much still in the public schools at where you are. I have great respect for people who homeschool their kids, obviously private school their kids, public school their kids. I do feel like we've swung this pendulum way too far. There are there are things in the public school that I am worried about. That's not really Mm -hmm. why we're doing this with our son Mm -hmm. and then with our daughter. But there's some of that. Yeah, Uh, it's much more the positive angle of the private school that we're sending them to. Sure, I would say this, Aubrey. While there are things to be worried about, this let's pull all of our kids out of the public school and kind of demean those Christians who aren't mm-hmm. is, I believe, has swung this pendulum way too far and is really problematic. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree with that, Brian, because I'm with you. I I respect parents who homeschool. I respect parents who send their kids to private school. I respect parents who send their kids to private Christian school. And obviously we're, I respect parents like us who send their kids to public school because at the end of the day, like, you know, what's right for your kid and your community and your, each kid is different. Like you're saying your daughter just graduated from public school or yeah, your middle is now going to the private school. Like, so each parent, I think, uh, gets to decide for Mm -hmm. their each individual child 
what the best decision for them is. And I'm not saying we do it in a vacuum. We definitely do it in community and Christian community. We have conversations, but I, I just, I don't, I think it's fine if he wants to promote public school, but I don't like doing it as an attack against another form of schooling. Mm -hmm. Like I think just express the benefits of homeschool, why you're so passionate about it, make a case for it, cast vision without then having to tear down those that are still in the public school. And I, I agree. I think the pendulum has now gone too far and I know that doesn't sell as many movies, right? But (laughs) it, it just, it's getting a little indoctrinated on the other side as well. Yeah. And I'm not a fan of that. Yeah, that's a, uh, indoctrinated. I like that word. Yeah. Yeah, I would you, say you. this. This is a bigger topic that I'm sure we will. T- we have touched on and will continue to touch on many, many more times. I- I'm growing a little um, frustrated and also uh, worried about the general sentiment of culture's war on Christianity. Agree, agree. Uh, I think that there that does not mean that there are not things to be worried about. I am, yeah. the things that have happened over the last decade that they're talking mm-hmm. about in public schools or mm-hmm. that you're seeing on TV yeah. Yeah. or that is being talked about the church. I want to have a both and here. They are problematic. Yes. But it is it is not this all out war uh, yeah. on Christianity. And it's not something that parents can't talk their kids through. And so this brings me to my second point. One of my frustrations, now my kids are older, but one of my frustrations when we were, uh, when Carrie was pregnant with our kids and getting ready to start mm. a family was there was like, and it, it tended to be moms. Mm-hmm. There was this industry of people telling you exactly how you should raise your kids. Yep. You should let they categorically, you must let your child uh, cry it out or you mm-hmm. must keep them attached to you or you mm-hmm. must breastfeed them or you must not. And there was all of this. Like, I remember Carrie telling me, I'm starting to feel bad about, yes. you know, like it starts to make you feel bad if you don't do all of this stuff. And this feels the same to me. Like, yeah, even like stepping are a back a little parent. bit, there yeah. were like, there were pressures. I mean, I, you didn't experience this, obviously, Brian. I'd be interested if Carrie said she did. There were even pressures about the type of birth you need to have. You need 100%. to have a natural birth. If you take an epidural, you are failing as a woman. I mean, it's like a different form of legalism. And that's what yeah. I think this is. This is yes. a new form of legalism. And we have, if you're passionate about it, great. But once you begin to say, this is what Christians must do, that's mm-hmm. legalism. Absolutely. So again, hear from us. If you're out there and you home, I have the utmost respect for people totally. who homeschool. I do too. And if, if you think that's the best way that your kids will be educated and discipled mm-hmm. this, Go for it. If you Amen. think private Christian school is it, great. If you think you want your yep. kids in the public school for it, wonderful. Let people, let other Christians parent their children. And like you said, when we definitively say, this is how you raise your kids, this is exactly what you need to do. This, you're a bad Christian if you don't do this. I think you, you put, you hit the nail on the head there. That is a new form of legalism. That kind of buys into there's this all out assault on Christianity. Are there hostilities yeah. right now? Are there? Yes, yes there mm-hmm. are. But does that mean everybody needs to get their kids out of the public school and everybody must homeschool their kids? Uh, no, it does not. And so uh, I'll end it with this. Parents, keep keep leading, keep parenting your kids. 
You know your kids. You parent your kids. (laughs) Aubrey, one of the conversations we had a lot last week is um, not just what is going on vis-a-vis Christianity with our culture at large, but what's the answer? And Mm, uh, you might remember we had the conversation, Rod Dreher, he wrote the article that basically against David French and Tim Keller. Right. And in it, uh, I actually quoted this in my sermon this week. In it, he categorized his view uh, from Aaron Wren uh, from First Things about the the kind of cultural shift you might remember he said uh from 1965 to 1994 it was viewed very positively mm-hmm. to be a christian it didn't mean everybody was christians but everybody went to church yeah. it was good for yeah. your business if you were part of a church from 1994 to 2014 ren says it's a neutral world it was neither good or bad it was as kind of like a hobby right mm-hmm. oh you're a christian okay He said post-2014 to present day, it became the negative world. And it was now uh, it it said something about you if you claimed Christianity. And it was a negative view. It was uh, something to be battled against. So that was kind of Aaron Wren's hypothesis. And uh, where Rod Dreher went with it was, so therefore... You've got to fight the battles of the negative world differently than how you maybe interacted with culture in the positive world or the neutral world. And that was kind of his thing. He was saying, hey, the ways of Keller, the ways of French are are wrong for how we are living now. Well, Trevin Wax in his blog over the Gospel Coalition wrote, didn't I grow up in a negative world? And so he goes on to say, uh, he quotes the same Aaron Wren, the okay. widely read essay for first things uh, and engaged it and kind of doesn't disagree with him. But he says Wren's essay does not provide a prescription such as a new strategy or fresh tactic tactics. Hmm. Instead, it offers a description of this cultural moment so that evangelicals will be mo- motivated to carve out a new path forward. And okay. so. All of this gets back to the conversation we've been having. Uh, First, Aubrey, do you agree still with the assessment, these three worlds? But then B, the real question is, so what now? Yeah. So uh, you what know, do you do now? Unfortunately, I feel like I'm taking Aaron Wren for his word. Like, it, I, I haven't done enough research, honestly, to know if that's true. I do know there was a day and age when it was more culturally expected yeah. that you went to church it like especially for a certain population of people you went up on you know got job promotions you were looked well upon if you were like a church going citizen and then i do know that we are living in more of a post christian society now i don't know the dates i don't know why necessarily right, i think that's right. really interesting to me I'm sure it has something to do with elections and the religious right and that kind of thing but um but generally would i say we've shifted yes yeah. Yeah. And so the question becomes, I agree with you. Now, I, I brought up in my sermon and somebody said to me, uh, I feel like Paul would laugh at us talking about being part of a negative world or Peter would <laughs> laugh at us when they were facing execution. And I, I said, mean, I totally agree. I've yeah. said I'm preaching through I'm preaching through first Peter right now. Yeah. And three separate times in those messages, I have said this uh, this line I've said. We are not being persecuted. And to use the word persecution 
towards anything in yeah. our day and age cheapens the word persecution absolutely. in America. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so I totally agree with that. That doesn't mean that things haven't shifted a little bit and that there's yeah. not, I think the right word is hostility mm-hmm. uh, or views. Now, Trevin mm-hmm. Wax is going to say it was never positive. Like even when we were kids, it yeah. wasn't positive. Interesting. But here's what I want to do, Aubrey. I want to okay. have this conversation. I want to, t- like you said, I want to take Aaron Wren at his word and I want to say, okay, regardless of dates and how negative right, right. or how positive are things, I want to move this forward to what is the strategy? How should we be living? Because here, I'm going to lay my cards on the table. I'm going to tell you, I usually ask you and make you go first, but I'm going to say yeah. it first. Yeah. I don't think the strategy has changed from the first century to mm. the 10th century to 1964, to 1994, to 2014, to whatever. I think the Bible lays out strategies that are consistent, whether you're in a prison about to be crucified like Peter, or whether you're putting up with some annoyances like we are today. I would suggest that the strategies are the same. What would you say? Yeah, it's interesting to me. I, I was with some people. We're going to talk about this later on in the shows with some people on Friday. And, and there was a, a church leader there and she said, I wonder if we have forgotten to take seriously the description of the elder who is supposed to be a person of hospitality. And she was talking about how in these cultural divides that we're experiencing right now, that the best kind of discipleship is discipleship around the table. Invite people into your home and do real life with them and point them to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it was just this, I mean, it was like this thing we all sort of know, but to hear someone remind me of that truth, like, I don't know that we need to be in a place where we're like positioning ourselves like us against them. We right. got to fight. We got to... What if instead we open our homes, open up our tables, invite people who uh, are different than us, and together we can experience mutual transformation towards Jesus Christ? Like, isn't that, that's the strategy it's been all along, right? Like we, We see that in the Acts model of the church, right? Yeah. Breaking bread together, sharing the word together, numbers of people being added daily. Like that's that was in the face of great persecution. And yet it was like relationships around the quote unquote table towards Jesus. And I'd even go further back, Jesus in John 17, right? When he's, we often talk Mm. about that with unity, but Jesus tells his disciples, uh, you are not of this world, but then it keeps going, but I'm sending you into this world to basically be a blessing. Like you are being sent into this world. Like the fruits of the spirit were not, um, when when we read about the fruits of the spirit, those are not conditional. Like, hey, as yeah. long as people are treating you well, display yeah. the fruits of the spirit. Yeah. As like, we have to remember that the Bible that we read in the New Testament, they are facing persecution. Mm. And we always read about love. We read about hospitality. We read about yeah. fruits of the spirit. We yeah. read about um, self-sacrificial lifestyles, all of these things. I would say that that we haven't moved into some time here in America where it's like, all right, guys, the best way for the gospel to move forward is with anger and hostility now right. because we're fighting right. these culture wars. Right. Like that feels off to me, whether his three world model is correct or not. I still think the answer is show the love of Jesus. Yep. You also said something really important there, this idea of hospitality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I said this to you last week. While I feel culturally greater hostility and greater apathy is another word I would use towards Mm -hmm. Christianity, 
I don't feel it from my friends and people I'm close to who are not a part of the church. And I think we have to learn that as well. Yeah. I think once, once people stop being like caricatures of people in our mind and are actually flesh and blood around our living rooms or we're around their living rooms, you kind of go, Oh wait, I don't think this war is what we think it is. Like there are pundits out there or there are voices out there saying that this war exists, Twitter accounts that they're saying that this, these wars exist. And again, like you said, we're not saying there's not animosity or hostility, but Mm -hmm. when you break it down to like one-on-one relationship or family to family, neighbor to neighbor relationship, yeah, you may disagree on certain things, but like that's, that relationship changes Mm -hmm. everything. As I said last week, I am team Keller and team yeah, uh, team French on this. Yep. I think we're still called to be winsome. I think we're still called to be loving. Yep. We're still called to display the fruits of the spirit. We're still called to be hospitable That's right, uh, Brian. while recognizing there have been some cultural shifts. Like I don't mm-hmm. want to deny the cultural shifts, but that doesn't mean that our strategies shift. But instead, yeah. I think the Bible lays out the strategy. So uh, Trevin Wax, he's going to write a second follow-up blog post to this one, but this one's over the Gospel Coalition. Grow, I did not grow up in a negative world. Brian, you know, as you know, part of our job, we feel like is to talk about heavy things and hard things related to the church or related to the nation. And we don't always do that. We do some really fun things as well. In fact, you, we talked earlier in the show about a really disgusting story about uh, mm-hmm. 15,000 pounds of hot dog filler spilling out into the Pennsylvania highway. And that kind of gave us an idea for our social media water cooler question of the week. We want to hear from you. You can go to uh, my Facebook page at Obsamp, or you can also go to at Common Good. But uh, we want to know after seeing that picture, would you still eat hot dogs? Yes or no? And we want you to explain your answer. So we're daring you to kind of go look at this really gross thing. But tell us what you think. We we think that'll be kind of an entertaining, so entertaining conversation. So Brian, from there yes. we're gonna we're gonna take a sharp sharp turn and go back to talking about some really really heavy things. And of course, last week our conversation was dominated by the shooting in Uvalde. And like you were saying earlier, some of the funerals are now taking place, mm-hmm. and sort of the next wave of discussion is is taking place. And Over at Good Morning America, one of the grandmothers of one of the children who was killed shared some very emotional um, audio about really, of course, her pain and devastation, but obviously praying that God helps them see a way through this and gives them hope. So I want to have a conversation about that after we listen to her. So it's so hard that you send your kids to school and thinking they're going to make it back home, and they're not. It's just so hard. I mean, God's going to see us through this tragic. He was he was so happy. She was telling me that he just found out he had made the A and B on the roll. We pray for the other parents going through the same situation. And our prayers and our, our sincere condolences go out to them as well. Just we can get through this. We stand together and pray. Oh, my God. 
get through this. I just stand together, stand strong. All right. I mean, that's hard to even listen to, Brian. Um, but I think mm. hearing the emotion in her heart, a grandma losing a precious, precious son. And, um, you know, there's there's not much more to even say after that. But what struck me was that in the middle of tears and in the middle of sometimes not even be able to get words out, she's saying, mm. but we have hope that we'll stick together and God will see us through this. And, you know, I don't know this woman's faith. I'm not going to pretend like I do, but it just struck me as quite a powerful thing to hear from yeah. a woman going through such an unspeakable loss. I mean, literally facing mm. evil and losing her precious grandson to it. And yet somehow proclaiming that like there's hope at the other side of this. And we've had conversations like this before, Brian, about having hope in the middle of devastating things. But it's it struck me that it was just so in the moment that she yeah. was she was expressing that there might be hope one day again mm -hmm. and um not something i think you expect to hear from a grandmother who's lost her her grandson in such a violent no. horrific way I, I and i don't want to dishonor her pain but i do wonder if there's a conversation for all of us about finding hope in the middle of seasons that just feel like they're hopeless, right? Yeah, Where yeah. do you get that strength to kind of keep going? And of course we know that the Sunday school answer is Jesus, but I mean, really like where do we find hope to keep going? I really do think it's Jesus. What do you think? Yeah. About it's that? a Sunday. Like you said, uh, it's a Sunday school answer for a reason. Like mm -hmm. it's the, it's the expected answer for a reason because yeah. it is the answer. Yeah. And, uh, but but it's not a flippant answer. It's right. not, oh, Jesus, because it doesn't make it all better. Yeah. It doesn't mean she's not going to cry for months over the loss of her grandson. It doesn't mean that this isn't evil. Yeah. But when we say the answer is Jesus, we're saying a couple different things. One is um, the hope that Jesus has defeated sin and death. Mm. Like, uh, you know, what Paul's word to the Corinthian church Um that the sting of sin is death and the power of sin is, you know, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that victory is already realized. And uh, while that victory is not fully known yet, right? We yeah. already talked about the already and not yet. We can point to a day that because of Jesus, his life, death, death and resurrection, things like school shootings and kids being innocent, kids being killed is not going to be part of the reality. And then we can hold on to that as our hope. So that yeah. future hope, but then also our present hope that Jesus says, I have already defeated sin. Uh, and I promise yeah. to be with you always. Like some people I I've seen online and it always frustrates me that people who will like hear something like this grandma says and <clears throat> speak of like, you know, talking about her faith in God just as a crutch to help her get mm. through it. And you're like, like how arrogant are you yeah. to speak of how she should get through this? Right. right. Uh, but then as Christians, we do say, you know what? Our faith does sustain us through this, but for very specific reasons, not this pie in the sky, like, Oh, you know, uh, hopefully my, my grandson's an angel now. Like right. it's not so right. much that as like a personal present God who also promises victory uh, both now and into the future. I think that's what we mean when we say Jesus is the hope.
Yeah, that's good, Brian. I mean, and, and thinking about the, the depth behind that and the message behind that, you're right. Like that's not a flippant thing. Like that's like, because of mm. Jesus's own suffering, we can have, yes. uh, you know, present hope, but especially that future hope. Like that's what we rely on in times like these to give us hope. Another aspect to the shooting in Uvalde that I, I hadn't really thought about, but Christianity Today brought this up and helped kind of remind me um, to consider is the pastors that are on the ground there, mm, you know, you who imagine? have churches there. No, I mean, think about like they're, how they're having to minister to people right now, the amount of funerals that they're probably doing this week. It's a small town as we know. So we can imagine mm -hmm. that it's like all how all hands on deck as far as pastors providing spiritual support. So that, that to me, uh, Christianity just highlighted some of these pastors and I was thinking about how, we need to be praying for those pastors yes. that are on the ground in, in Uvalde this week as well. One of the pastors says, I know that one thing that's going to help us through this is God's grace and God's love. What the world needs and what our community needs is a light that shines in the darkness. Think praying that those pastors can be that light in the darkness as they, oh, as they're ministering in, in such a horrific thing. Brian, I, mm -hmm. I imagine it's sort of that same question, like what gives these pastors strength to step into such a painful, awful, evil situation in their town? It's, again, we don't say this flippantly, but the presence of Jesus empowering mm -hmm. them to do so. And the years, I think, of ongoing ministry, mm -hmm. man, we I just I, that article reminded me like, oh, we got to be praying for those who are ministering on the ground. Definitely. We need to be praying for the pastors and because they also live there. Right. 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 Like they might have right. kids in the school. Right. They might have no have family mm -hmm. friends who love and so I think that's sometimes what people forget. It's not like this pastor who's come in from the outside, you know. But I do think we need to be praying for these pastors because in some ways, and Aubrey, people, I, I wonder if you'd agree with this. In some ways, ministering in situations like this is one of the reasons you get into the pastorate. Like you're like, yeah. there's a, an adrenaline and also a mm -hmm. um, an honor mm -hmm. to be able to minister, but it's awful. And yeah. so, um, you know, kind of putting yourself in their shoes going, man, I, that, that requires real prayer for, yeah. for wisdom yeah. for it's one thing for you and I to talk on a radio show about where do people find hope, but when they're there doing funerals or at the school site and people are like, how can I ever hope again? Yeah. That's going to really require some great wisdom and discernment. And so I do think, uh, we need to be praying for the churches, for the pastors, yes. for the people yes. who are who are trying to help people put the pieces back together. Yeah, that's that's right. So let's do it. Brian said, continue to pray for these families, all the grandmas that are there, all the moms and dads and brothers and sisters who've lost so much, and then for the pastors on the ground as well. What's fun about working with Brian is that every once in a while we send each other tweets or articles or things that we're like, we have to talk about this on the show. And Brian sent me a tweet over the weekend that I don't think he was necessarily even intending for us to talk about but it was no i just like making you mad yeah. i just like making you angry yeah. i send you these things going oh i can't wait this i, to I, I want Aubrey's to be there reaction. when she reacts no it's totally it i'm like uh, i was like that kid in school who would like get people riled up and then run away and like, like let them get have to deal with it provocateur or whatever they call yes, that and that's all I, 
Aubrey, that is the role I play in your life. I don't even write, hey, we should talk about this. I go, hey, did you see this? Hey, did you see just, this? Does it make you angry? <laughs> so he sent me one of those. It's from none other than Pastor Mark Driscoll, who we've talked quite a bit about on the show because of uh, the rise and fall of the Mars Hill podcast. And it's striking me, Brian, right now, even as we're talking about it. Here's a guy I don't want to talk about, and yet... We're talking about him. So I am almost like kicking myself for doing this. But his tweet was so, it's so talk worthy because here's what happened. So Top Gun came out over the weekend. Did you get to see it yet? No, but you know me. uh, Rarely have I told you I want to go see this movie. Like, yeah. You know, you're the movie person amongst us. I tend to be like, oh, we'll stream it at some point, but I'll probably never see it. Top Gun. I I definitely I want to bring like at least my older kids because yeah. we watched the first Top Gun. Like yeah. I genuinely am looking for time to go see this. Our executive producer he saw it this weekend. But, oh, I didn't uh, know that. I I can't yeah, wait. Yeah, it's yeah. getting such good reviews and feels like definitely like a movie theater such movie. Good review. Everyone has said you need to see it in the theater. And yeah. I've at least people in my world who have who have like tweeted about it yeah. or whatever i haven't seen anybody say anything bad yeah i have not seen it so i am i'm looking forward to going and seeing it i don't know if you saw beth moore tweeted about going and she said something like uh, my husband keith and i are going to see it we got two dollars off because elderly <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome i know i thought that was pretty funny okay so everyone's raving about it everyone's talking about it here's what driscoll decides to tweet A hashtag Top Gun pilot friend took us to the movie last night. A non-woke hetero alpha male fought for his country and everyone cheered. If you're a gender studies major or a rainbow rev, watch the new Top Gun and take notes. We we need music in the background that just goes classic Driscoll. So this, this tweet felt very classic Driscoll and very, very, very uh on brand uh yeah on brand and it made me want to die like i thought it was so mortifying and horrible tell me what the response that's why i sent it to you i know that's why you said that's why i said first of all okay (laughs) yeah do you believe that mark driscoll went to that movie with a top gun pilot heck no he totally made that up (laughs) he lied about that number one there's a lot in this i don't believe this is all him just trying to like double down on mark driscoll the brand right yes yes. who knows if he even saw the movie so i'm gonna go with he saw the movie and everyone that i've seen uh has said it is a full adrenaline movie yeah it is uh to use some cultural language, it's it's a movie that guys really like. Yeah, like, yeah. It doesn't mean women don't like it, right. but we all know what people mean when they're like, "This is a movie guys like," yeah. or "This is a." It's targeted, and so I get it. Like I yeah. do. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I, I want to see this as a guy. If they came out with another Notebook tomorrow, I probably wouldn't be like, "I got to get to the movie <laughs> theater." Right? Like, gotcha. Uh, that is not what we're gonna go. Gotcha. But to be like to to turn this into a referendum on a certain type of pastor and a certain type of guy, like uh, to be like what this movie was was a non woke heterosexual alpha male fighting for his country and everybody cheered. Everybody cheered because it's awesome to watch planes go. Like, right. Right. I'll leave it at that. It's awesome to watch. We everybody cheered at Rocky Four when I went yeah, to Rocky Four yeah, back in the yeah. day. People aren't cheering, going, 
love this heterosexual male. <laughs> they're like cheering because they're like, this is that an was awesome. awesome display of this yes. or that. He's trying to get a reaction. Yeah. He's trying to yeah. st- he's trying to get on shows like this where we talk about things yeah, like this. It worked. It worked. Look how Guess effective what? that was. I will bet you that if I were able to get on some gender studies majors and show them this movie, they'd probably love it because it was right. a good movie. Right. Hey, people, let's not, un- not, not everything is a referendum on uh, our country. Lots of people like, like guy movies yeah. for this. It doesn't mean yeah. uh, that, that we've, people loved Braveheart 30, 25 years ago when it came out. You want to know what would happen if Braveheart came out now? Everybody would love it. Yeah, <laughs> people yeah, would yeah. go crazy. So you asked me what were some of the replies? Yeah, of I want to hear the replies. Jesus would, Jesus was not an alpha male. Yeah, I don't think Jesus picked quote alpha males for his disciples. Right. Uh, other people being funny. Uh, you know, you tried the macho man thing before, and look how well it turned mm. out. Did you take notes? Please share. Mm. Uh, this foul, it sounds too familiar. They say history repeats itself. Mm. It's looking like they are correct. P- uh, she should peak form already. So he's getting, you know, who was Jesus? What were the things? So obvious, important conversations. Yeah. Here, let me, I'm going to say it, Aubrey. Okay. We have this little thing in our in our Christian subculture that's really ugly called Christian celebrity. Yeah. People know how to stay into the Twitterverse. People know how to stay relevant. People know how to stay. It's to use certain buzz terms. It's to stir the pot. That's Mark Driscoll's shtick. And so Mark Driscoll went to see Top Gun and couldn't just go, hey, awesome movie. Awesome movie. Everyone go see it. But instead had to turn it into a referendum about wokeness and what's wrong with the church? What's wrong with our culture? What's wrong with this? And I would say, there I get myself, you know, we go too far with this. This is just a guy trying to stay relevant. It's a guy That's trying exactly to get retweets. Yeah. It's a guy yeah. trying to get these angry replies. It's yeah. a guy trying to get talked to about on, on radio shows. Yeah, Friends out there, can I please encourage you? Stop following the Christian leaders, quote unquote, the speakers on both sides, progressive and conservative, who are clearly trying to make a name for themselves Mm. and stir the pot and Mm. get retweets and make it about them. Find the humble people. Find the people who are walking the long obedience in the same direction. Find the people who are follow them and allow Driscoll's and uh, the people on the other side to just kind of go off into the distance. That's my my take on this. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But you know what? There's going to be people who are going to go, amen, Mark Driscoll. Absolutely. You got it. All right. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go take my kids to go see Top Gun. We're just going to love it. And you're just going to love it. it. I'm going to let it be a movie and not make it some huge referendum on the church and on our culture because it's going to be a really good movie. Yeah, I I just think, too, this goes back to like Driscoll, I think, at his worst when he literally is so hateful and so demeaning to anyone who isn't this stereotypical macho patriarchy guy like i just it's gross to me but i bottom line like i think you're seeing him for what he is he wants to say a celebrity he wants to get attention for himself this is not about like loving people to jesus or making disciples this is about whatever his weird 
agenda is to stay relevant. And it goes back to the conversation we had, winsomeness versus like attack. He's going on the attack, but that's who he always is. That's what he's always done. So and this is why I sent you a screenshot and of the And now tweet. we had a whole conversation about it. So I'm almost kind of mad at, mad at us for even talking about it. But I say unfollow, desubscribe, deplatform, whatever you can do, people who are like taking this type of this type of stance on things. I feel the need, the need for speed. It is the end of today's show, and at the end of every show, we love to bring you something challenging, inspiring, or something that'll put a smile on your face. And I don't know why, Brian, this story from over the weekend cracked me up. I think because it seemed like it was out of a TV show or something. I don't know if you heard the story of the Mona Lisa. I saw it. Okay, so have you been to the Louvre? Have you seen the Mona Lisa? I have. Okay, I I thought you had. Okay. Bonjour, you cheese-eating surrender monkeys. So imagine that you're there, you're standing before the Mona Lisa, one of the world's most famous paintings in the world, and suddenly someone who you thought was an old lady in a wheelchair jumped up and started uh, smearing cream across the surface of the Mona Lisa. What would you think? I would think that person's crazy yep. and about to get hurt. Yeah. Um, and so I would be very confused, like what's yeah. going on. And I would probably be really scared by like, A, are they going to do something? But more so, I would be worried that they're about to do something to that picture. Like, right, I right. know there's a lot of security measures. It's it's not like in glass you could just break or something. Yeah. But I would be worried that somebody went to that point is about to do something destructive kind to the actual painting. Kind of violent and dangerous. The crazy or thing- like destructive to the painting, yeah. The crazy thing is you you see all the people in the room are just holding up their phones, like filming it. No one's running away, like freaked out or worried for the painting or trying to stop him. Everyone's just trying to capture it on videos. But here's what the man said. Apparently, this was like a, a climate protest. He said, think of the earth. People are destroying the earth. And I'm not I don't know how this one totally connected to the environment. That's what I'm not so sure about, except maybe it was just like he knew it would be enough of a spectacle that it would get shared so so then people would talk about climate change. So there's something really strange with climate change protesters lately. So do you remember about a month or two ago there was a basketball game going on and a young lady ran onto the court right under the basket and like – tried to glue herself to the floor no. to like interrupt the game no and it didn't work no uh she was a climate change protester uh about a month later there was another woman at a basketball game who tried to run onto the floor and got tackled by security she was there to protest climate change okay. there seems to be okay. something in the is this a world, the climate change protest world? It's not really one I'm a part of. Yeah. Where it's like, do the most ludicrous, newsworthy thing you can to bring attention to it. But it, I would say it's backfiring. Like, I didn't think anyone saw this and was like, you know what we need to do? We need to start, you know, reducing emissions. I think most people were like, yeah. what is that person doing to the, to the, uh, to the Mona Lisa? But so, uh, yes, it was funny in the sense of like, oh, that was creative. You dressed up like a grandma in a wheelchair and then jumped up and was like, ha, I got cake. I'm going to smear it on the Mona Lisa <laughs> in all the name of climate change. But it's also a little scary. Like, oh, what else are they going to do? So 
Uh, I would call this ineffective protest. Okay. I'm going to go with that. This is ineffective protest. Okay, except here we are talking about it. So I, yeah, it but it's not moving the needle on climate talking. change. Okay, yeah, I suppose I it it probably is not moving the needle on climate change. I don't know why, but it cracked me up. Like thinking that the guy <laughs> pretended to be a little old lady in a wheelchair with like a wig. I mean, he that means he went to the Louvre and like bought a ticket in a wheelchair or rented a wheelchair when he got there. It was like and. I, yeah, there's something interesting. I, I don't know. It felt like it felt like it was out of a sitcom. Okay, so Brian, mm-hmm. let's let's get serious for a minute about climate change. I'm not really in the climate change conversation. I have to be honest. But Relevant Magazine shared something that said you cannot love your neighbor and ignore climate change. And I don't think this was connected to the Mona Lisa. I think it just happened to come out around the same time. But kind of funny that this uh, conversation is in the air right now. But um, this uh, this author, uh, Federica Cardamone, is saying we have been poor stewards of the earth, that the call Mm. that uh, we were given in Genesis, that Adam and Eve were given in Genesis by God was to look after the world. And we have not done a good job at that. And she says this, if loving God and our neighbor are our greatest command, how can we blatantly disobey God and contribute to climate change, which disproportionately affects some of our most at-risk neighbors? She mm. goes on to say, it's no secret that our world needs a lot of help. In the first half of 2020 alone, we have seen over 200 natural disasters across the globe. Currently, the West Coast of the U.S. is on fire with evacuations and extremely dangerous air quality is a near constant for most Californian Pacific Northwest residents. Climate change is heightening the effect of California's wildfires. And on and on she goes, talking about how if we are told to be good stewards of the earth and care for the vulnerable, that means caring more for climate change than we do. What are your thoughts about that? Uh, So... What are my thoughts about that? Uh, I think it remains – I think it is debatable at least to – about what she said. Yeah, like is yeah. it climate change or is it normal kind of fluctuations? Are we within a good range? Are we not? Mm. This is where it comes down to I think we all need to be humble enough to try to learn. Yeah, um, that's good. From people smarter than us, That's because good. I've read things like this that are like, hey, to love your neighbor, we all need to get rid of our carbon foot. You know, we need to decrease this and mm-hmm. do this and do this because it's this. And I've read really humble, smart people who are like, no, this is just the cycle of the world. And this mm-hmm. is how it works. And it's not going to implode in 10 years and yeah. this and that. I'm all for loving our neighbor. I don't know what it, whether this is it or not. And then I would encourage people this. If you're out there and you're a huge climate change person, um, put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, like I, I think good. I had a friend who, who liked to lecture people uh, online about uh, climate change yeah. because this person was very liberal and this or that on Facebook uh, and then got a huge SUV. And mm. I'm like, okay. Uh, that is hypocritical. Or you used to read stuff about the climate change conferences being full of people with private jets or the carbon footprint of Al Gore's house, all of these things. Right. So a couple of different things. I would say for those of us who are not climate active, like we're not, we don't know, actually try to learn instead of learning from even either the, the the climate change activist or from Fox News, the deniers. Like, try to learn. There are some great people you can read, great Christians who have written about what what our stewardship of the earth is. 
actually try to learn on the topic instead of making it a talking point. And if you are a believer, then don't be hypocritical yeah. about it. Like yeah. actually take the steps to put your money where you're. So that's what I would say. And I would say above all, Aubrey, we are called to love our neighbor. So mm-hmm. as you read this, if you think the arguments are good, then take steps to love your neighbor through it. So I think I like to claim ignorance on this one and go, I don't know what to believe. And so yeah. I should probably take the I should probably take the tact of if it's this important and this important to people, I should at least learn and read some people whom I respect That's and what see I was what, thinking. what I can learn. Yeah, like this feels like another conversation that we need to take away from the the politics of it and just do the work to find out like, okay, if we're not stewarding the earth that God has given us well, what steps can we take to do a better job of that? If that means loving our neighbor, then let's do that. And, and mm-hmm. I, like I said before, I'm not in this conversation, so I am certainly one who can begin to to, um, to do more. I do know that I, I, you know, I believe this creation matters, that it's not just going to like disappear. And so we don't just like let it go and let it die. There are things that we can do. So I I like that. Let's learn, let's listen, and let's see what steps we can take and, and go from there. Uh, but maybe don't, maybe don't do more vandalism at, uh, the Blue. any type of <laughs> yeah i was gonna say any type of national international gallery probably not a great yeah, way that's to right. go all right well we hope that uh you enjoyed the show today thanks for being here with us we'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m for brian from i'm aubrey sampson and you've been listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost and covers the facts behind this scandal flynn told the truth he was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com